Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And uh, we do not have a guest this week, um, but we do have a chonky scene to talk <laughs> about. Um, it is the the uh, the timestamp is... 1 hour, 23 minutes, and 40 seconds through 1 hour, 26 minutes, and 23 seconds. Is this the longest Mm -hmm. section that we have? It may well be. There's another one that was pretty close, I think. Um, Maybe when we do our, like, big finale wrap-up episode, I will actually have some of these (laughs) statistics (laughs) ready. Like, our shortest scene, our longest scene. Like, that that could be quite fun to get into. But this is certainly one of the longer ones. Uh, It was near impossible to try and break this down with the stuff that happens either side of it so yeah it's a a meaty one this week (laughs) yeah uh so this scene brody is done being uh he's done trying to smize for hooper (laughs) in the foreground of his shark pictures and he is going to seek comfort and safety within the cabin and then quint pops out with his harpoon which we ended on last week um, but basically forces him back to the front of the boat. And so they're all three on the front of the boat. And uh, Quint tells Brody to go uh, just keep keep her steady forward um, to chase the shark as it is, uh, pun intended, barreling towards the orca again. <laughs> and then he asks Hooper to tie the barrel <clears throat> to the harpoon so that he can um, shoot the barrel into the shark. Right. That was we talked about. That, that process that he has where you shoot the, you, you, you lure him to the top and then you jab at him. And so he's, he has Hooper, he asks Hooper to do that. Hooper sees this opportunity to get a tracker on this fish. So he goes and gets a tracker, hooks it up to the barrel. Quint gets a late shot onto him, but they stick the barrel into him. Um, and then Hooper takes over the controls from Brody and says that he's going to bring the boat back around and they're going to shoot another barrel at it. Uh, so he starts doing that, and then Quint's just kind of hanging out on the bow of the ship, um, staring at Brody and Hooper. Um, and the shark tries. The shark basically goes back under the surface, but they're waiting for the barrel to bring him uh, back up. And that's kind of where we leave it, um, mm-hmm. where the shark's kind of gotten away at this point, and they're kind of waiting him out until nighttime and the the scene ends with nightfall and Quint is still hanging out on the, the bow of the ship facing uh, the remainder of it rather than the open ocean. So mm-hmm. um, it doesn't sound like a lot happens, <laughs> but a lot happens in this scene. So Sarah, what, what did you notice uh, in this scene? Man, there is so much in this scene. I was like, have I given us too much? Uh, Hopefully not. 
Um, but I think we'll that final shot of of Quint we will certainly get on to talking about because I know that it is one that you really love as well, MJ. And just to mention, we because I think we said this in last week's episode um, that we were meant to have a guest on for for this week, and um, he unfortunately is um, unwell, so we'll be back for an episode probably in the new year. Um, but this is his uh, favorite shot in the whole film as as well. Um, so a shout out to Mark and we hope you, uh, feel better soon and we look forward to having you on, uh, in a few months time, but yeah, we'll, we'll try and do this scene justice and, and talk about how great that shot is because it is probably one of my favorite shots in the film as well. And, um, I, uh, maybe we can, should we just start at the end and start with that shot as I've given it all of that build up. Um, how long is Quint just like hanging out on the end of that Hours. boat? <laughs> That's the thing that like, I mean, we'll, we'll talk seriously about it as well, but it goes from like daylight to kind of dusk to pretty much pitch black. And yeah. he is just still like hanging out on the, on the end of that boat. And I, I really like that as a choice just because we get to see um, that, that same shot of Quint in various sort of different lights and that first bit we see of him with the, you can sort of see the movement of the boat as well as he is staring Mm. up at them. And then as the light fades, it starts to become more and more ominous. So it's very effective in sort of, you know, that was, that was their mischance. Quint's not, you know, not exactly happy about it. And things are going to take a pretty serious, serious turn from this point. And that sort of like fading light in the background very much signifies that, that that was their chance for today. Uh, there will be more shark-related shenanigans to come in the next day, but this, you know, this is the sun setting on their first day doing battle with the with the shark, um, which I think is uh, is pretty significant. And I I like that we get that uh, very long uh, shot of of Quint or several long shots of Quint um, just hanging out at the end of the boat but yeah I, I did think it was funny to think about like how many hours he had just been stood there <laughs> yeah uh so i know most people's favorite shot of this is him completely blacked out um with the light mm-hmm. behind him not blacked out drunk that's later in the film uh <laughs> mine is i'll drop it in the discord and we can we could probably post it on twitter where is discord on my phone i can't screenshot in movies anywhere so i can't actually find like a good shot of this so i have to mm. take pictures of my monitor <laughs> um almost drop that behind the scenes here <laughs> yep almost dropped that in a different discord server that would have been weird um <laughs> hey guys i know i've never posted here but um, here's a great shot that i've yep. taken on my phone <laughs> it's this shot right here um it is taking a while to upload and it's almost at the file limit for discord um yeah mm-hmm. i love it because it looks honestly it looks like they filmed that bit on a soundstage maybe mm. um maybe not maybe it's just it, i love the way that they mounted the camera on the 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 what they call it the pulpit of mm-hmm. the the ship and it reminds me of the ferry scene where they mount the fa- the camera on the fa- on the corner of the ferry and like even though the ferry is moving it looks like the background is moving behind them yeah. because of mm-hmm. of just the way the movement is on the water. This looks very similar where they've mounted it at the 
one end of the pulpit, at the opposite end of the pulpit from where Quint is, <clears throat> and it spins in a circle, and the camera itself isn't moving, the boat is moving. And mm -hmm. so it's this really neat-looking effect, but I just love that that shot. Um, yeah, there's there's that's the, the one from earlier in the scene, um, mm -hmm. where it's more of like a full body. There's something about this one though where you can see more of his face and the way he's like staring down hooper yeah um and especially because i think it follows that shot of hooper kind of not looking down the barrel of the camera but it's a very close-up shot of hooper looking really like intense mm. and he's kind of looking at the ocean but kind of looking at quint and then quint's not facing the ocean and staring back up at hooper and he has this creepy ass smile on his face <laughs> um and I think the reason for that is because he knows what happened with the barrel. And mm -hmm. he's kind of like, all right, I see you. I get it. This is what we're doing, huh? Um, mm. Which we'll, we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But I, I love that shot in particular where you can see his eyeline like looking up. And you can see if you <clears throat> mirror the image, right, because he's facing opposite them, you can see that he is looking dead at hooper and not brody because brody's on the other side of hooper mm -hmm. yeah which is you know based on what has sort of happened leading leading up to this point there is a very good reason why he is kind of staring down hooper in this in this way and it is that that sort of quick look up and the the sort of yeah like you said like creepy kind of look on his face as well and the the music cue changes at this point as well and mm -hmm. it it changes really quickly because it goes from perhaps like peak high seas adventure which is when hooper is like you know get another barrel i'm coming around again and it is like it's such a i think the <laughs> the subtitle for the music cue was like jubilant brass music or something and i was like yeah this is pretty this is pretty dang jubilant uh is how i would describe this piece of music um and then after that point when they kind of realize that they see the barrel going down in the distance and it becomes a lot more uh ominous there's still sort of shades of that more upbeat um part of the music but it's it yeah the the darker the light gets the darker the music gets as well and it's it's taking on that much more serious uh tone but it does happen pretty pretty rapidly and actually we were just talking off mic before we started recording about how quickly uh the second half of the film goes in particular mm -hmm. like this is only the sort of back end of the the first showdown with the shark i mean this is only a few minutes prior was you know you're gonna need a bigger boat and the shark popping up and uh just a little bit before that as well was the the sort of the real clicking and the and you know the first signs that the shark might be near um this is all happening like pretty it just it feels like it's happening really really quickly i don't know if this is just the way that that we're doing it but right after this is we're inside the orca and they're drinking to their legs and it's indianapolis like this this thing is really flying now and i yeah i there's so much in this in this scene we've sort of we've we've gone a bit back to front and started with the with the end of it but um the movement of the orca is something that i that i wanted to bring up mm. because we definitely get that in this this final shot where the boat is obviously moving and therefore the the horizon is is moving and and quint is just stood 
you know dead still but there's still it's still a very dynamic uh shot because of how much movement there is on the boat and we get that as well right at the beginning of this scene where <laughs> my notes i said like the the motion of this boat and how it is filmed is making me feel nauseous like yeah. that boat is really moving um, and there's a great shot of Brody as well when he is up in the the sort of the top bit of the orca trying to to steer it. Where it's a very severe low angle, but even with that shot, there still feels like there is movement. You're getting that movement of the boat, and you don't get that when you put a boat in a swimming pool or onto a soundstage or something. Like you can add that kind of thing in, I guess, or or create that effect. Um, but it is not a replica for the real thing of actually like putting a boat on the ocean and putting these guys into it. So I think you get a real sense of that um, that adventurous uh, side of the filmmaking, as well as this being a very adventurous scene, both in the in the music and sort of the pursuit as well that we're beginning to see. But yeah, I I love how the the tone of this scene is sort of like reflected in that that very like dynamic movement as well that mm -hmm. we're that we're getting some of these shots yeah um couple points before we go full tarantino and go to the beginning of the scene uh <laughs> about about the end of this one um the music is really great and you touched on that but <clears throat> one thing i noticed is that um it sounds like a brass version and it's a higher pitch it's not quite the same notes either so i don't know this is it sounds like the jaws theme though when mm -hmm. it shows quint looking at hooper and i'm sure that the reason he's turned around facing the boat has to do with seasickness reasons because if he was that far out on the pulpit looking at the ocean i guarantee he would get at least nauseous if not <laughs> full-on seasick mm. but I think it's also this really cool parallel where he's facing the boat the way the shark is facing the boat. And we've talked about before that, you know, Quint is as much of a predator as the shark is. Um, mm -hmm. And based on what Hooper did, you know, he's kind of got it even more out for Hooper than he already did. Uh, so I really like that parallel. And then I think the reason he's on the boat on the on the end of the pulpit for so long is because uh he's got his little lemboss bread that he was chewing on earlier so he's got <laughs> sustenance with him so he can he can do that not the lemboss bread <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'd never really considered like just how many uh, hours he's just he's just chilling back there for, but yep. it's just uh... munching on a Snoopy Scooby snack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I there's definitely that sense of of Quint being the predator in this scene, specifically targeted against Hooper, and this isn't the sort of the first time that we've we've seen that idea or even see the film play around with there being other you know quote predators that aren't the that aren't the shark so the fact that that score is you know not quite but very similar to like the shark's theme as quint is like standing on the end of this boat looking pretty menacing i guess uh and and sort of staring down hooper i think is all very 
deliberate and when he is like whistling as well that is mm-hmm. i mean maybe it's just the sound of whistling is always like quite eerie and i think like the light fading as well and the fact that you yeah. cannot even see his face at that point um adds a lot to it but yeah it's it's really getting that creepy uh sense coming in and you know this this shark popped up on brody in in broad daylight so now we're seeing the light fading and this is the first time we've had night on the on the orca as well and we're like what is going to happen when you know you can't see this this shark like right in front of you you know things are things are about to get really serious from from this point um which you know they do (laughs) the shark definitely does come back uh pretty soon the 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 blackout framing of of quint in this it feels it feels like a horror movie with him whistling and stuff like mm-hmm. it, it it feels so scary yeah. um and it you know to the point where it feels like even the colors are like orange and black like it feels a lot like the color palette of halloween and we've talked mm-hmm. about halloween kind of borrowing from this a little bit with the the first shark perspective like the the opening the entire opening of of halloween is from michael myers perspective as a child um when he kills his sister and maybe his mom it's been a while since i've seen halloween um (laughs) which in turn was taken from black christmas i don't think we've mentioned that on the show before um so black christmas the cold open to that is from the killer's point of view first person taking its first victim so i think spielberg borrowed it from black christmas and then carpenter from black christmas and jaws Um, (laughs) but this i mean this shot would not be out of place you know in a carpenter movie save for the fact that it's on a boat mm-hmm. um you know it almost actually it almost feels like something out of the fog uh which is a yeah uh whoa um another john carpenter horror movie with jamie lee curtis that is not quite <laughs> as popular as halloween but is mm better i think it's my favorite john carpenter movie anyway it's, pretty, it's spooky pretty season good. it's spooky season watch the fog it's a really good ghost story um, yeah <laughs> it's so great but it you know it the the, the way the clouds look kind of remind me of you know that movie a little bit mm. yeah th- i mean we've we've seen and heard of the the weather being a threat in in jaws before mm-hmm. uh, i mean cloud in the shape of a killer shark is the (laughs) the slightly obvious one that comes to mind but also just way way earlier when we were talking about like how when the sky was like really blue and clear and and nice and that was a threat because it meant that there were going to be you know people on the beaches and therefore the shark would have things to eat so um i think that it's the the fact that those that there are those sort of like dark clouds building in the background again i think is just adding to that uh ominous tone of the the end of this scene and it ends in such a different place to to where it begins as well maybe that's how <laughs> that's how i'll segue to sort of like going back to the beginning of the scene yeah. but yeah it it's their their worlds apart how this scene ends and and how it begins yeah, uh, it, uh, but it also ends with Brody asking for a bigger boat once again. <laughs> oh, I just what a, a sweet little baby angel Brody is. I just, <laughs> it's just, I just love that even after all of that, that is the question that you know he's still asking the same question that he was like repeating 
earlier the, the you know the the night is is coming in the light is fading and he's still like yeah we're gonna get a, a bigger boat though right <laughs> and it is still falling on deaf ears yeah oh just completely ignored <laughs> every time he's asked just absolutely completely ignored uh so funny yeah. but the scene does start with brody doing the most significant thing he's done on the boat so far mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah we can we can circle back to that now uh mm-hmm. much like hooper does um <laughs> where you know they're all on they're all on the the bow of the boat and quint wants this barrel on the shark and so he just starts assigning duties and uh brody he tells brody to steer the boat and brody freaks out he's like i've never steered a boat in my life and uh he's like he's he once again falls on deaf ears like he's basically just like i i don't care like (laughs) yeah (laughs) does not matter right now we have literally bigger fish to fry than this (laughs) Um, yeah And he's, and then he tells Hooper to come help help him with the barrels, which Hooper does, and then kind of doesn't. Uh, and we'll touch on that in a second. But I thought this is the first time I've noticed that, like, this is the first time Brody's been tasked with anything of consequence on the boat. Yeah, that, <laughs> there's a, a slightly amusing flip side to that, I guess, where the two things that Quint requires help with is steering the boat and tying the the knot or tying the harpoon onto the barrel <laughs> uh-huh. and brody's not uh tying experience is uh <laughs> has not been uh extensive so far so yeah. he you know he mastered the little brown eel but could he you know master the knot that he needed to to tie that harpoon on we don't know so i think <laughs> it is a, certainly nice that he obviously he has that significant thing to do um something i never noticed before is that you hear the sound when you see Hooper inside, like uh, going to get the the equipment, and you can hear the sound of the boat stalling. Um, so Brody is obviously mm. like struggling to kind of like get the engine started, and I just mm-hmm. think that's a nice <laughs> a nice little touch as well because eventually uh, Hooper ends up doing both, you know, tying the knot and swinging up to the top of the orca to to take over the controls. Um, so yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I don't want to put Brody down. I I love Brody with all my heart, but yeah, but bless bless him still in this uh in this scene. Um I mean it, it's it's a kind of a nice payoff as well because in the scene when he was being like really stroppy about chumming, I think he mentioned there that he he was like I could go slow ahead or something when yeah. uh when Hooper is is driving the boat and uh instead of chumming he wants to do that instead so now i guess quint is like well you know you're you're getting what you wished for like get up there and and drive the boat and then brody is like i have never done this before i don't know what i'm doing but the way that quint speaks to brody is so different to the way that he speaks to hooper i mean still we we see a bond form in the in the next couple of scenes um but the advice that he gives to brody and the way that he sort of quite calmly tells him what to do once he gets up there again is that sort of like fatherly type of thing you know he's not yelling at him he's he's not you know do this do that this is you know this is how you steer the boat kind of thing he doesn't have time for that for a start but also you know he's i think he just says like follow my hand or something something along those lines um to kind of give brody what he needs to just be able to to get up there and at least get the boat started and heading in the right direction um 
but yeah nice to see that that sort of father-son relationship dynamic is continuing in this scene it's it starts to become a bit more fractured as as things go on but um yeah (laughs) yeah um have you spent any time on on a boat or driving a boat (laughs) um i have not a boat anywhere like this but i have driven like a like a narrow boat like a canal boat type of thing um which is very different um (laughs) compared to this um i'm not the biggest fan of being on a boat i do get quite seasick (laughs) um i so one i was thinking about this today when we were or, or yeah today when i was watching the the scene because you were talking about the the motion of the boat and I don't get motion sickness. Mm. I've only spent two real meaningful times on a boat. Um, and the first one was sailing. We went sailing in the San Francisco Bay uh, with uh, one of my exes. Yeah, her dad. Got re- he moved to, he moved to the San Francisco Bay Area and like got really into sailing so we went sailing <laughs> out there and uh, so that was the closest to something like the the other time was on a speedboat um, mm. so that that the closest I've been to like the orca was when we were on um, <clears throat> her dad's sailboat and I got motion sick on it I didn't <laughs> throw up but mm. I was like oh this is rough. Like I, I didn't, I didn't think it would be that big of a deal because, uh, I've never gotten motion sickness before or since. Like I have driven in mountains. I've driven up windy roads. I've been in airplanes. I ride roller coasters, like never had a problem with it, but there is something different to like, you sea legs are a real thing yeah, <laughs> um, and I do not have them. <laughs> uh, but at a certain point I was like, oh, steering the boat looks really fun. I would like to steer the boat. The thing is, steering a boat's pretty hard, um, not just because you're against the elements, but it's flipped. So mm-hmm. if you're turning the wheel right, you're going left. If you're turning the wheel left, you're going right. Yeah. Um, so it's inverted to driving a car, but uh, not to toot my own horn because I have a ridiculous reason about this. Everyone on the boat was like, have you spent a lot of time like on a lake or anything? And I was like, no, not at all. And they were like, you're doing a really good job, like, keeping this between the poles. Because he basically was like, see that landmark and see that landmark? Make sure we're in the dead center of that. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is second nature to me. Because I've played a lot of video games. (laughs) (laughs) And specifically, I've played a lot of Star Wars video games where you're flying, like, X-Wings and things around. And the steering is the same, where if you push left on the joystick, you're going to go right. If you push right, Mm -hmm. you're going to go left. So it was the exact same principle that I could, you know, copy-paste. Also, we weren't really relying on a motor, so we didn't have to worry about, like, not flushing it or stalling it out or anything. It was it was the sails, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I did have that at my advantage, but it was it's really funny thinking about Brody having a hard time because obviously they don't have video games in 1975 (laughs) for them to be like, oh, okay, it's 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 inverted. They call it inverted controls when you have a game like that. Mm. Um, So you can't just go, oh, it's inverted controls, whereas like someone from, you know, my generation 
beyond i feel like they would have an easier time with it uh because they've got grown up with inverted controls on so many vehicles in in video games mm. yeah that's that's actually a really good point i mean it's no surprise really then that brody is i mean he's struggling to get it, the the engine started so i mean that's a <laughs> yeah has much to do with the steering but yeah he uh he is struggling and it's not it's not natural it's not just like driving a car is it goes completely against like what you what you know or what you think because you think oh you know turn the wheel left you go left but it's it is the opposite as you said and yeah in my very <laughs> small amount of experience driving a boat it's it was the same for me as well and i i can't exactly remember how i just kind of like got my head around it i think i just when you uh i mean the the boat that i was steering was like really really long and narrow as well so you kind of have to be good at steering it or at least being able to sort of maneuver around things um it wasn't my boat so when it got to like going through something that looked a bit tricky i'd be like hey someone <laughs> someone come yeah. help me but i could do the, the the basics well enough and i think you just it's it feels unnatural but yeah it's you you adapt and you you find a way but there's a very clear difference in how Brody approaches steering the boat and how Hooper approaches it and even down to how they even sort of like make their way up there I love how confidently Hooper like swings his way up to the to the top of the boat when he takes over um steering it it's Mm. just such a great moment he definitely has better better sea legs than than brody does because brody is clinging on to like every strong and steady and non-moving surface that he can get his hands on and hooper just kind of like pulls himself up on a rope and almost sort of you know cartwheels into the (laughs) into the top part of the boat so um it's if it wasn't already uh, very clear that one of these is a lot more experienced on boats than than the other is, then uh, yeah, this uh, <laughs> tells us it again, just uh, a, a little louder in case we weren't in case we weren't listening. But um, I is something that I feel like I should have noticed before, but as I always say, have not watched the film in this way before, so why would I? Um, but that very severe low angle shot looking looking up at Brody. Um, I really like that shot for a lot of reasons, but there's a a nice sort of subtle bit of, of foreshadowing there, which is we barely see Brody, you know, sort of see like the top of his head um, in that shot. But one thing that we do see really clearly and is kind of dead center in that shot as well is the, the mast. Um, and that is obviously, you know, at the end of the film, Brody climbs up that exact mast and that is where he takes the mm. takes the shot and kills the shark. Um, so I just thought that it was interesting that um, particularly in that shot of Brody that it's pretty much dead center. It's like it's, you know, <laughs> Wes Anderson uh, would be proud of a shot like that. It's, uh, the <laughs> it's not quite symmetrical, but that mast is is pretty much like straight down the down the middle of that shot. So it's a, a satisfying shot to to look at anyway but yeah a nice uh bit of foreshadowing i guess that that is sort of where brody finds himself at the end of the film when it comes to the the final showdown with the shark yeah i did not pick up on that um Mm. yeah uh, so hooper sucks in this scene right (laughs) he is not he is not a good person in this scene i feel like 
And I, I actually, I don't really understand his goal here, right? So he, he goes into the cabin and I think it's important because I think this is the first time we see someone enter the cabin from the starboard side of the ship. Um, mm. I think every other time has been on the port side. So the, if you're facing the front of a boat, port is to the left, starboard is to the right. And I think every shot so far of them entering and exiting the cabin of the ship has been from the left-hand side, if you're mm-hmm. looking at the front of the boat. So um, I think it's a really interesting shot. It's a great shot. They mount the camera in the cabin and then Hooper runs through uh, and you see him in the windows. But it's the first time I noticed someone entering on the right side. And uh, I think it's almost like to show that it, and it looks kind of awkward um, mm. because of it, because we haven't seen someone do that. And I think it's to show that like, he's maybe not making optimal decisions here. So he goes and gets this tracker to tie to the barrel. Um, and then he, he ends up tying it to the barrel, but he's way late tying the barrel up because he spent this extra time getting the tracker and it kind of costs Quint a shot that would just bring down the shark is kind of how it's portrayed. Um, to the point where even Brody can see, because he's a cop, right? Like he yeah. he knows firearms. And so he's even he's on there being like, you got to shoot that thing now. Like He's like, now, go now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's way late because Hooper's attaching this tracker to it which is an ultimately selfish decision, right? So he's still he's still in research mode despite him, quote, helping out. But what I don't understand about his decision here is that he knows this shark is not long for this world. So how much meaningful data is he actually planning on pulling off of this tracker? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question and not really something that, that I had considered before. And I think a particularly significant thing that that happens when he goes into into the cabin is that he picks up the tracker and he also picks up the the shark dart the thing that he tries mm-hmm. to use later when he's when he's in the cage and again have just never afforded much significance to that before and i'm like no he he literally had like red pill blue pill in like one hand (laughs) like the the thing that could destroy the shark you know the 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 shark dart which you know put the poison in is right there in his right hand and the tracker is in his in his left hand so hooper in this moment makes a conscious decision that this isn't the time to like kill the shark yet I, I I can try, I mean, I'm trying to like wrap my head around why, but I think like what we, I guess what we know about Hooper as a person and that, that love and affection that he has for sharks, like possibly it explains that. And it's, I think he even says like, you know, your, your turn Quint or something like that. He's, he's trying to get sort of like a one up. So it's like a, you know, one for science, two for, you know, muscle, uh, one for science not for muscle even is what i was trying to say <laughs> mucked that one up um yeah like he he's trying to like score points on on quint and uh you know prove that perhaps you know the 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 technology or the science or the research uh is important and i don't think it's i don't necessarily think it's as selfish as as we're sort of thinking 
at least initially when you sort of like take into consideration the fact that like the two choices lay in lay in his hand at that moment and this was the one he went with i think that there is part of him that goes well like we're gonna need to put this tracker on this shark so we know where it's going like does he Mm. fully trust quince kind of old school fisherman techniques of Mm. you know the the chum and the the being able to sort of like find the shark in this vast ocean uh you know yes the shark does seem to be hanging around this particular area and not going anywhere but is it uh you know something on on a slightly smart decision i guess on on hooper's side that he's like well you know we want to have a chance of getting the shark like now is not the time now is not the time for this this shark dart i'm going to put down the thing that is going to kill this shark now is the time to put something on it that means we will effectively be able to find it going forward because this 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 isn't it this isn't going to be where we where we take down the shark and Quint is of like as you would expect very confident that had he got that shot in the head um that that would have that would have been it but as we know this shark is is bigger than your your average shark um mm-hmm. so requires more uh barrels to be put on him than than perhaps a normal shark of that type would um so yeah would would that shot if it had landed in the shark would that have been enough like maybe maybe not it's it's a side that i'd not really considered before because i think before i had always been like that's a and because i love hooper so much as well like it pains me to be like that was kind of a like a crappy thing to do you know let's let's not do that um but thinking about it in this way sort of I don't know. It just made me see like another side of it. Does that does that make sense? But yeah. So then I would say you could read that also though to still be kind of a net negative on Hooper's part because sure, the yeah. film. I think I think the film uh, portrays it as Quint could have killed this shark. Like mm-hmm. I, th- I think it like confidently says like if he would have gotten the shot off earlier, it would have been you know credits. Uh, but when you bring up like, oh, he doesn't necessarily trust these old school methods, I think it's maybe more of an illustration of Hooper's classism once again, mm-hmm. where he's like looking down on these old school fisherman methods and is like, no, we need the new tech on here so we know where the shark is going. But the f- film is maybe arguing like, oh, if we wouldn't have wasted time with that, we would have just killed it <laughs> and everyone would be fine. And I'm not saying that like Quint's blood is on Hooper's hands necessarily because of this situation. And I don't think the movie says that. Like, I think the movie ultimately ends with, like, it doesn't abandon that theme entirely, but it doesn't... I guess you could argue that because Quint dies, like, it does kind of end up on Hooper's side, quote-unquote, because Hooper survives through the technology of the shark cage. Mm. Um, And, you know, I guess you could argue it as, like, looking at it like a a John Ford movie a little bit, like The Searchers, where, where... you know, at the end, John Wayne leaves and they always say that shot of him through the door is about how that idea of the masculine cowboy who does, you know, who basically is pretty racist and kills a lot of Native American Indians is it, there's no place for him in what Hollywood had become at that point. And it was kind of mm-hmm. John Ford's like moving beyond that as well because he had made so many movies like that and it was him kind of a lot of people view that as him kind of reconciling that um 
I guess you could argue here that because Quint dies, it's kind of saying the same thing. I don't know that it necessarily is because like, I think the text of the searchers reads very much like that. I think the text of Jaws just is like, it reads that, that portion of it reads just like exciting and kind of inevitable based on what Quint does with the, with sharks, like just his, his decades long rivalry with these creatures. That's the inevitable conclusion of what happens. Hmm. I guess when if we're getting if we're getting into to this sort of thing, it's like we've spoken previously about their um, the characters' motivations and, and what it is they they want. And Quint is not just sort of like driven by driven by the hunt or you know wanting to to track down and, and kill this shark. He's kind of motivated by revenge um, because of what happened to to his friends mm-hmm. on the the indianapolis and we've got that coming like real soon <laughs> round yeah. the corner um so if you sort of say like revenge is is quint's like core motivation for like why he is doing what he's doing the fact that he is the only one that doesn't survive i guess you could see that as you know if if that is your your motivation or if you're motivated by anger and revenge and fueled by hatred and all the rest of it that is not going to end well for you um hooper is not the one who who takes down the shark and this is why i think it is so significant that brody is the one who does and obviously we'll save a lot of that chat for when (laughs) when we cover that scene but it's you know the the technology or you know the the science and and the love of sharks is is the thing that um that saves hooper because really that that shark cage is something you go into to observe the sharks they they obviously use it in this case to get closer to the shark to to sort of land the the lethal blow um but that doesn't that doesn't happen and and brody's real motivation is just like i want to get back home and i want to get back to my family and i want to make the the town that my family live in safe once again for them and that's the thing that triumphs so like brody is the sort of like archetype hero in in this whole film is you know that is the thing that triumphs over the the shark at the at the end if we're sort of saying you know the the shark is you know sharks are not bad let's let's just be clear on that but uh you right. the what they represent in in this film is a sort of disruption to the the good and wonderful things of of amity um so sorry that went off a bit but yeah i <laughs> hopefully that is sort of like i guess makes sense but yeah is 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 not in any way you know saying that that what what happens to quinn is 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 as a result of of hooper's actions in this i think that when you look at the film in a bit of more like a broader scope that you sort of and take those other things into consideration like their motivations and what it is they're doing on this boat and why they're doing it that that adds an extra layer to it yes um yeah i have more reading on that but i will save that for when quit that um <laughs> you can also see in uh in the background of him of hooper grabbing the the tracker you can see the machete on the wall Mm-hmm. yeah um so there's i mean obviously it would be on the boat right so mm-hmm. i don't i mean it's not like it is foreshadowing but it's not i don't think it was like super duper intentional yeah um i think it just is there but it, it helps you know uh mm-hmm. bring that in 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> Hooper's motivation in this scene is really complicated, and it doesn't yeah, complicated. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't, I, I don't really understand his his actions here. Um, outside mm. of just like trying to get one over on Quint, at, but at what cost? You know, like. Um, and then like it's weird too because hooper's reaction to it is like he's just as disappointed as everyone else it seems mm. like and it's like well, motherfucker you did this like mm. it's like he he turns into I, I think you should leave hot dog man like we're all trying to find the guy who did this <laughs> yeah he i think it's um well the quint staring him down as well i think it's both like the disappointment but also the like maybe i done messed up here (laughs) yeah yeah um i think he's got really good face acting in this scene um Mm -hmm. which we haven't seen a lot from hooper um it's mainly been brody and uh and quint who get really good like reaction shots but here we get like extreme hooper close-ups Mm-hmm. uh and just this like this intensity on his face that we haven't seen really like i feel like there's <clears throat> a tendency to view him as sort of like kind of meek right like like quince yeah. obviously like a uh you know an old school guy and then brody's this like new york tough guy cop type thing and then hooper's just kind of like I feel like people feel like he's just happy to be there, but he really isn't. Like, he's as confident on the boat as Quint is. He's certainly more confident on the boat than Brody is. Mm-hmm. And then when we see him here, like, he is laser-focused on getting this boat turned around and getting another barrel into the shark. Yeah, there is some... I was just looking at some of the, the like, really close-up shots of of him in this scene, and there's one sort of like towards the end like when they realize i think that the shark has has gone away um he's basically like gritting or grinding his teeth like he is really going through it in in this scene he's like shaking his head as well and and he's yeah perhaps like the most (laughs) or it feels like the most determined out of all of them prior to this to, to to getting that shark I wonder, (laughs) this is us like psychoanalyzing Hooper here, but like if he, he was sort of like wanting to prove himself to Quint in that moment as well of being like, hey, your, your harpoon or weapon that you are using against the shark plus, you know, combined with my technology shark tracker equals success. Yay, we caught the shark. Um... So I wonder if that is kind of like playing into it in in this scene as well, where where Hooper really, really wants this to work out, like the way he throws himself up onto the top of the boat and is, you know, I'm going to bring it around, but we're going to get him this time is like, that could be, that could be something to, to do with it is, yeah, wanting to, wanting to prove himself, uh, prove that what he has is as good as what Quint has. But I don't know, it's... (sighs) It's re- it, Hooper in this scene is very complex. I'm I'm really struggling to sort of like pinpoint exactly what he is going through in in this scene. <laughs> yeah, he. <clears throat> I like it because he. Um, it's the 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 closest I think we would ever see or take Richard Dreyfus seriously to as an mm. action hero. 
mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, I like it, we've talked about Taken starring uh, 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 Roy Scheider <laughs> on the show before, but like Taken starring Richard Dreyfus, you laugh at mm-hmm. right, like mm-hmm. he he just does not have that kind of persona. But here, like it's clear that he's capable of like intensity, and he's really intense in um, what's the next movie they did? Close Encounters. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> he's really intense in that movie, but it's a manic intensity and he gets that manic yeah. intensity in this too. Um, so Spielberg, I think is really great at for kind of pinpointing the strengths of his actors. And he really locked into like the manic intensity of, of Dreyfus in a way that I don't think I've seen in any other Richard Dreyfus performances. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible bias just to be like, this is my favorite performance. is, <laughs> But I, I think it's certainly up there. I think that yeah. we see so many different facets to him as well. Like he he is not just this kind of you know quiet nerdy guy with the glasses who who is into all the the technology and the science stuff. Like we see that intensity from him that I think seems like quite out of character. Like when it first happens, you're like, oh wow, like you know he's 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 really mad about this. But he is he is as invested in this whole thing as as Quint is. I mean, I guess as well, if you think about it this way, he's the only person who kind of voluntarily is on the Orca. I mean, Quint is Quint is the guy hired, and Hooper is Brody even is uh going along to, you know, make sure that he is that he is doing doing the job correctly. And and, and Hooper obviously brings the the expertise to it, but he also didn't have to go. Like I mean, Quint mm-hmm. refers to him as 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 ballast. You know, the, yeah. he's the spare wheel. He's the part that they he's the part that they don't need. Uh, and he has been, I guess, when you're made to feel that way as well, y- you just have this constant desire to prove yourself. And that's yeah. something that I see in this scene that I don't think I've seen before. With you know, it's it's not maybe it's not just this like wanting to get a one-up thing it's like i want to prove myself that i am not the <laughs> i am not the the third wheel i am not the super spare cargo part. i'm not yeah super cargo. <laughs> super cargo oh bless i still love hooper even if he's <laughs> maybe a little bit of a jack in this scene but like i i get it when you're being kind of like beaten down by this guy and being told that you're like super cargo or ballast <laughs> or no good it's like you really want to prove that you're that you're useful and it's not like he's been useless so far he has been driving the boat and doing everything that he needs to but this is really the first big moment that he has had to try and prove himself and he and he wants to it not just to be him listening to what quint is telling him and doing that and obeying the orders he's like i'm gonna contribute my part to it as well which is this shark tracker and you're gonna be happy by the end of it because we're gonna have caught the shark but it doesn't quite it doesn't quite go to plan uh not the the most uh stress-free environment to be trying to tie a probably expensive piece of tech onto a barrel as well when you've got quint <laughs> kind of yelling at you just like get on yeah. with it uh yeah a lot a lot happening in this scene yeah i so this might be a little bit of a weird comparison based on the roles he's most well known for um but i think and i i kind of see a lot of um ryan gosling's acting style in dreyfus in this movie Hmm. um like i when i think of 
Ryan Gosling, like, I think three of his best performances are Crazy Stupid Love, The Nice Guys, and, um, well, Blade Runner 2049. I didn't think about that. He's really good in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's really good in that movie. I was going to say La La Land, but maybe not. But so, I'll, I'll rephrase it to when I like Ryan Gosling the best, <laughs> he's not like this badass brooding guy. He's like more of this like manic neurotic dude. Mm. And uh, I think those are my favorite Gosling performances. Certainly the nice guys. He's that's my favorite Ryan Gosling performance. He's so, so good at that movie. <laughs> he's so good at that movie. But so I funny. feel like you could replace him with Richard Dreyfuss in that movie and it would be kind of the same sure i i kind of see that actually i've never i've never thought about and those people, people before, don't but... think about that like because and the thing is i don't like drive and i think one of the reasons i don't like drive is one i think that movie is so self-serious but it, it also <laughs> um it never acknowledges like how fucking cheesy he is in that movie with his dumb scorpion jacket like it <clears throat> it like tries to paint him as like this cool badass guy but like that jacket is lame and (laughs) he's like it feels at odds to me like i don't know there was something because like going into the nice guys i had seen the previews and i really liked the previews but i didn't like drive and that was kind of the thing that i had most associated with gosling and then i saw him in that movie and i was like oh that's because he was completely misutilized in that movie because he has the body of an Adonis, but he's actually this like neurotic weirdo mm-hmm. who should be doing way more roles like this than drive. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I, that was my drive hot take, but I feel like he just feels more comfortable in roles that are similar to something Dreyfus would be in, but he looks so traditionally handsome that he gets a lot of those types of roles he's also really good in lars and the real girl which he's yes. like this really awkward dude in that too such a good film that's it's so I could, good i could a hundred percent a hundred percent see dreyfus in that film as well mm-hmm. that is this is slightly blowing my tiny mind in the, <laughs> now i think about it it's like dreyfus is gosling is, is my takeaway yeah. from this because i've seen not tons of Richard Dreyfuss films, but like enough. And I always <laughs> prefer him the closer to Hooper that that he is. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's just because I love that character, but also I think he really plays that neurotic, weird, <laughs> but also slightly intense guy. He plays that so well. And films where he is not that. I'm trying to think. What's the... Mm, don't want to spoil it the slightly cheesy one it's another spielberg is it always always yeah i I like that film but also i'm like i haven't seen it i love richard dreyfus with all of my heart i'm quite attracted to him as hooper but also (laughs) him as like a a kind of like heartthrob like not so much right it's yeah (laughs) it's not uh it's 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 not in necessarily comfortably in his wheelhouse as much as a, a part like hooper is um but I, I'm with you on like my my favorite Ryan Gosling performances are the ones where he is that kind of like neurotic weirdo as well who also just happens to be impossibly handsome like that's yeah yeah well and that's kind of I haven't seen Crazy Stupid Love that much but isn't it kind of in that where it's almost like a false confidence that he has yeah mm-hmm. in yeah so I could see I mean. 
I feel like you could remake the Goodbye Girl with Ryan Gosling, and it would be the same. Mm-hmm. Would <laughs> um, you know? <laughs> uh, and that's a good movie. Um, I like I like the Goodbye Girl quite a bit, but it you know I feel like Ryan Gosling is like. His, his attractiveness is almost a curse to him. <laughs> and that sounds really weird. Um, I mean, he's doing fine, right? He's not. Yeah. He, he's he okay. is not wanting for anything. <laughs> but I, I just think he's a much more interesting performer than some of the roles he ends up in because of how conventionally handsome he's a, he is. Mm. Whereas, like, you would give those roles to Richard Dreyfuss in a heartbeat. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> this is a lot for me to, now i'm just like i'm just cr- like crisscrossing these two over in my mind and just being like what would it be like if yeah i, I mean i don't think he'd be that bad of a hooper to be perfectly honest with you <laughs> like huh wow this is <laughs> we've gone from that the hangover cast uh yeah <laughs> uh to to ryan gosling but i'm I, the more i think about it I mean, it would be, could you imagine? The internet would just, I think the internet would just go into a meltdown anyway if a Jaws remake was announced. Right, right. But sure. I don't feel like that would be a choice that would go down well with people. No. Um, but then I feel like in the hands of the right person, like if they somehow pulled it off to where it was like pretty, like not the worst thing ever, I think he'd be really good in it as, as that, yeah. that role. Mm-hmm. I think he could do it. He's so like, just like picture when <laughs> when when Russell Crowe breaks his arm in the nice guys and he just screams <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite things that happened in a movie in the last decade mm-hmm. but like Richard Dreyfus could have absolutely done that yeah because he does some wacky stuff in even in this film like that mad <laughs> laugh he does like in the next scene is is yeah. like is unhinged like i could absolutely imagine Ryan Gosling doing that as well yeah or the the drunk acting with like uh let me guess mother is that what you're yeah. talking about yeah. yeah yeah when he like cackles like wildly after he like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean laughing at your own jokes can't relate uh <laughs> yeah we never do that on this show my whole existence, I think, is just laughing at the incredibly stupid things that I say. So. Lolly big. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's still funny. I can't. It's... <laughs> I mean, it's pretty um, good. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Sarah oh, Gertrude. Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, anyway. Dreyfus, yeah, Dreyfus is Gosling. Um, yeah, is is the I think the big takeaway <laughs> of that. I'm really glad you were on board with that because I was like, look, I'm gonna sound like a crazy person saying this because mm, it took I think people just wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> they uh, and I think it's because Gosling is so movie star handsome too. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I almost I almost feel like Dreyfus could have been in Blade Runner. I don't think he could be in Drive, no. but Blade Runner is not really an action movie. Mm, I see. I see that less than some of the, I guess, more yeah. comedic parts. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah, I could. Yeah. Hmm. This has given me a lot to think about because uh, I do love Ryan Gosling a lot as well, and I also love Richard Dreyfuss. So this yeah. is almost His... the perfect scenario for me. <laughs> I think the the Blade Runner character is maybe too angry. 
um, and yeah. like quietly angry than than we've seen Dreyfus. Like Dre- Dreyfus is very he wears his heart on his sleeve a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if he could pull off that kind of that darker side to the character that you sort of get from from Ryan Gosling. But yeah, okay. So yeah. the real tipping point then is could Dreyfus do only God forgives? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I mean, I would certainly like to see it, but I don't yeah, think it would be yeah. any good. <laughs> I feel like that's the Sh- that's the Schrodinger's role of of the crossover there, where it's like I can see that going either way. Um, yeah, <laughs> might suck, might be great. Uh. Yeah, because he doesn't. He's not like I don't know. I I like that movie. I'm one of the I'm one of the two people who likes that movie. So uh, <laughs> I'd be interested to see how that would how that would work. Mm. Um, and I think I actually think Ryan Gosling's pretty good in that. But he doesn't have a lot to do. The movie's not really about him. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm very distracted just thinking about this point now. But I <laughs> um, had, I guess, hmm, I need like one other thing that I that I wanted to to mention that I just thought was another <laughs> really great shot uh, in this scene. This scene is full of great shots when someone says that like their favorite yes, shot it is. is in this scene i'm like yeah but which one because there's so many um i have a contender for one of my favorite sh- shots that i've never noticed before um which is when brody is like up the top of the of the orca and you see the shot going past but what is in the foreground is the the like the lamp that's on the top of the of the orca um like it's headlight type of thing but where that lamp is positioned and where the shark is going through it it looks like the shark is like in the crosshairs um but mm. we are not you know pov of of quint with the shark in the in the actual crosshair of the of the harpoon gun that he has we're like up there with brody so again like great foreshadowing that it's going to be like brody is the one who takes the shot but also i just think it's a really clever shot to kind of put us as the audience in that position of of having the shark in our sights as well so sort of putting yeah. us in in Brody's uh in Brody's shoes i uh, it maybe it just happens super quickly and i've just never like zeroed in on it before but i paused it on that bit when i was like making some notes about something else and i was like oh that's a really good shot <laughs> yeah i didn't notice that until right now i had to scrub through it and find it and it's uh real good it's real good. There's really good shots of Quint too. Like there, there's these like he does these like Dutch angles with with Quint in the foreground, um, yeah. and they're really subtle. Like it's a really subtle like canted angle there, but they're there and they they look really good. And there's like there's the scene. It's like a low angle scene, but it's also kind of Dutch angle with the barrels in the foreground and Quint turned around yelling at Hooper. Mm. Um, it's just really, this whole sequence is really dynamic and interesting to look at the whole thing, like top to bottom is so, it might be the best looking scene in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's certainly up there. There's so many good shots. I mean, I'm just kind of like, I've got the, <laughs> got it on in the background now. And yeah, the, the variety as well it feels like no two shots are the same at Mm -hmm. any point in this scene like everything Mm -hmm. is like the camera is over here now it's moving in this way now we're going to shoot it like this now it's going to be from this angle now it's going to be from up here and it's just like 
this is you know a longer scene than, than we've had previously but that's a lot <laughs> like that's a lot of i mean the editing in this scene as well is just absolutely it's so well edited. fantastic it's so it's so good it's so dynamic but yet it doesn't it doesn't feel kind of like too frantic it feels like no. very kind of measured and deliberate in its in its pacing and in its cuts and in how these shots are constructed as well and it's just this is such a great example of of why jaws is you know a fantastic film in a, in a technical side as well as you know the story and the characters and everything else that we talk about this is such a well shot scene it's yeah i <laughs> now when people are like that's my favorite shot in jaws and previously i would have just automatically been like oh of quint at the end of the boat now i'm going to be like yeah but which one because all of these bits <laughs> okay no they're yeah um any you could pick any shot from here and say it's your favorite shot. And I would be like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it like the editing of the scene, it, like the way it's cut with the music, it's mm. so, it's so exciting mm-hmm. um, to watch. Like it just like, even just watching it in isolated isolation like this, like, um, you know, my sleep schedule has been kind of whack lately. And so I've been waking up, uh, like minutes before we record and it like it legit like perked me up a little bit from you know <laughs> getting out of bed to to record and so uh it was it was it legit like got me interested and invested and got my heart rate up and like you know really like gave me this like shot of adrenaline like that happens when you watch a really good action sequence mm-hmm. um and i've seen this movie a million times <laughs> um <laughs> You know, it just it's it's so just dynamic and, and moves really well, but it's not confusing, it's not hard to follow, you know the geography of the boat really well, you like it's it's really masterful. Like thinking about, you know, uh it, <clears throat> if you quit the podcast here for the mere suggestion of this, I understand. Um but thinking about like, okay, Who's the director that would be brazen enough to even try this? And I came up with exactly one name, and that name is Zachary Snyder. Um, (laughs) And just like picturing, (laughs) picturing, yeah. (laughs) And just like picturing what that version of this movie would be like. And it was like, oh, might need to go throw up. So I'll be right back. Like it's, Mm. it's so much grosser to, to picture someone, you know, with these sort of modern, like, techniques this this sort of i call it mtv editing because you see it a lot in concert films where it's just like all these concert films want to look like a music video now and like if you go and and watch um really great concert films from like scorsese and jonathan demi and stuff like they let they let you watch the performers perform um (laughs) and everyone tries to make it look like a music video when it's a live performance it doesn't work and i feel like that has bled over into the action movies of today as well where you're just cutting you know all the time there's that that really great example from taken three um (laughs) do you know what i'm talking about vaguely yeah where he's jumping (laughs) the fence yeah and it's like uh how many cuts is it it's like Yeah, it's 15 cuts in six seconds. Jeez, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) 
Did you watch it? I did. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> what a bananas scene. It just is confusing because, I mean, like you were just saying about, about this scene in Jaws, like, it's there's a lot happening, but, like, it's not confusing. You know who... Mm-hmm. You know, you know who is where. You know what they're doing. You know where the shark is, and there's a lot of moving parts in this scene as well. The boat is moving. The shark is moving. The characters are moving around the boat, but you're never once like, "Whoa, what is happening?" And this is just mm-hmm. a guy jumping over a fence, and I have whiplash. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's a lot. I feel more motion sick watching that than I do in this scene in Jaws. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then, you know, I think about, especially, I think that that when you have something that takes place, like that's like an action thriller that takes place in exactly one location, mm. you really need to make sure that the, the viewer knows the geography of the location yeah. inside and out so that they know where stuff is happening because it can either get boring or confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've noticed is that a lot of filmmakers today take a really lazy route. I'm looking at you, Don't Breathe, which is a movie I like. Uh, there's just this big-ass tracking shot that shows you every room of the house when they, as soon as they enter it Mm-mm. to get you familiar with the geography of it. And like, on one hand, I like that because I then know when they're in different parts of the house where it's located because I've gotten that establishing shot on the other hand it seems like a waste of time where it's like hey man put the people like make people do shit in the rooms and then bring that all together at the climax and then we can you know we'll know where everything is Mm. which i think jaws does really well like at no point is there this big sweeping shot through the orca uh that shows us every little part of it we just start slower and see like block the people around the boat and then once it gets to the fast-paced showdowns with the shark we know where everyone is in relation to where like how big and small the boat is Mm. yeah we've i think we've spoken about this a lot in in previous weeks or basically from the moment that we've been on the orca is like this film does such a good job of shooting this boat and just making it seem absolutely huge when it isn't (laughs) but we're still yeah in you know in this scene we've been on the orca for a little while now we're still seeing different different parts of it and different angles and the different way in 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 which they choose to shoot like just this boat like really making it seem like this vast space but yeah and we're still we're not lost like we're not confused we know like you said we know exactly where everyone where everyone is and we've had all of that without this sort of like tour of the orca kind of shot. We've we've had quite a lot of sort of overheads or, you know, going around the side of the boat or seeing these people in the cabin or these people on the front or these people on the back or whatever it is. But we, we've seen all of those things separately and we're kind of piecing together the, the geography of the, the orca as we're watching it. Um, and it's in scenes like this that sort of like really showcases that i think that it that it is very dynamic that it is very um quick and and, and action-packed but yeah it's not it's not too much it's exactly the right amount of 
of stuff happening. I this with like a, a a modern action director, there'd be so much slow motion, and it would be disgusting, mm-hmm. and I would hate it. Yeah. <laughs> or, for, uh, or you know what? It would be they would make it truer to the book, and everyone would be a piece of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be like, I hope they all get eaten by the shark. I don't care about yeah. any of these people. <laughs> yeah. Team shark. <laughs> yeah. The, that that thought brought to you by the only other name I could name about who would be brazen enough to try this, Eli mm-hmm. Roth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Do you know what? I was thinking about him as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't give those guys a Jaws. Just, just, just don't do it. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's fine. Do what, like... And I think the the other thing too, like this, I I guess we could bring it in for Atlanta because it's going to be way more of a rant against a remake of Jaws, is <laughs> than anything meaningful to the scene. <laughs> like, I think a movie that did this is going to be a weird comparison, maybe that did something kind of similar to Jaws, well, completely being its own thing, using a different monster entirely, and making it a two person one location thing was Crawl. Mm-hmm. and i yep. loved that movie i thought that movie was so great i love it so much <laughs> it's so good it's such a good movie but the geography makes sense uh-huh. the it's confined the themes are all there the performances are all really good mm-hmm. um and it's this like you know little two-hander exciting movie that has like and yeah there's there, there's some legit scares in it there's some legit like gore effects in it like it's got everything that you know, I think would make someone want to remake Jaws in a completely different context Mm. that works as its own thing entirely. And the only reason you would compare it to the film is that it's, you know, about an ocean-dwelling creature eating people. (laughs) Yeah. Or a water-dwelling creature, I guess. Mm -hmm. There aren't really many crocodiles in the... (laughs) (laughs) Or gators in in the ocean. Crawl is such a good film. <laughs> I'm so super good. in the mood to watch that film now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> Me too. It's really plans. good. I saw that movie with my mother. Um, huh. Yeah. Yep. How, how did that go? Uh, she really liked it. She really liked oh, it, nice. which was cool. But not, not, yeah. There was, there was a summer where I went to the movies with my family, like, and it was like me, my niece, my nephew, my brother, my sister-in-law. And then my mom would just go to spend time mm-hmm. with us. But the thing about all the people I just named who aren't my mother, we all love horror movies. So we were going <laughs> to see horror movies all summer. And she was just going along for the ride and would come out and be like, oh, that's pretty good. And I was like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> Like we all saw, we all saw scary stories to tell in the dark together, and like not a movie I would have pictured my mother seeing in her lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was so desperate to see Cruel that I went to see it at the cinema, and I famously do not see horror films at the cinema. I will watch them at home with the lights on, uh, mm. where it is safe, and I can turn it off if it gets too scary. But I. <laughs> something about monster movies that i just find way less scary i can generally yeah. go and see them at the cinema but yeah cruel was a 
fun time in the in the cinema. I had a I had a really great time watching it. I mean, I I jumped out of my skin like a lot, but it was. There's some good scares in that movie. Yeah. There's some really like genuinely scary stuff that happens in it, and like mm-hmm. I I also like that it's like it's really violent and like pretty gory, but not like constantly. Um, yeah. So it makes that those it makes those moments feel like a lot one more earned but they're a lot more shocking when they do happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah definitely it also has the uh it has the best uh transition to end credits um song that brought me so much joy i can't remember what the song is do you you know the bit i'm talking about where it's like it plays like a really like upbeat song in the end credits and it's about um an alligator see you later alligator yeah (laughs) I just yeah. remember it making me very happy. It was like it, that yeah. got a big laugh in the in the theater because it was like you've just gone from this like really kind of intense, uh, intense film, and then it ends in that way. Um, I you know what would make that. me okay with a Jaws remake is if it ended with the word Finn. <laughs> You're giving away our final episode title. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Spoiler. <laughs> I know Sharknado ends with the word Finn. But yeah. it would be really funny to see like a serious shark movie end that way, because <laughs> Crawl's pretty serious until that happens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's really great. It's such a great choice. <laughs> also, I, I always confuse like I always forget that it's about an alligator, not a crocodile. So I was gonna say, does it end with Crocodile Rock? <laughs> <laughs> would have also been great, but yeah, would have also been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, people would have gotten mad about you know. Getting the, uh... <laughs> it's a gator, not a crocodile. Yeah. Another thing I appreciate about Crawl before we before we wrap things up, I like that the dog survives. I'm a big fan of, mm. <laughs> of that happening because mm-hmm. anytime, apart from Jaws, because not confirmed on screen, but anytime sure. a dog dies in a film, I will immediately take at least half a star off. So I'm glad that I don't have to do that with Crawl, and it's a it's a good it's a very good dog as well. Big fan. Yeah. I only saw that the one time in theaters. I'm due for a rewatch. I might. Oh, uh, yeah. I might rewatch that this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend coming to visit, and he's a huge fan of Crawl. Actually, we recorded an episode on Crawl uh, for Real Perspective, and it ended up not recording right. It's a lost episode of Real Perspective yeah. with the guy who's coming to visit this weekend. Do you know what? This feels this feels correct this this feels like what you need to spend your weekend doing <laughs> it's also like a 90 minute movie what a treat honestly <laughs> yep that is legit the i legit considered going to see venom let there be carnage because it's 97 minutes <laughs> i have no interest in that movie whatsoever yeah but i they said it's 97 minutes and i was like i would like to see that then <laughs> yeah that's that a surefire way to get me into a film is if it is like less than 90 minutes i i will watch a longer film as well i mean jaws mm-hmm. is and you know two hours four minutes but yeah i if a film is like 90 minutes or less i'm like you've got me <laughs> I'm, I'm in <laughs> yeah yeah i'm definitely watching this i don't yeah. care how good it is i'll probably see it um <laughs> I also would like to see Venom Let There Be Carnage because I want to know if Andy Serkis is doing okay because it doesn't seem like it <laughs> based on the trailers. <laughs> I just want to check in on him. Make sure he's yeah. alright. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say every 
we'll, we'll bring it in for a landing after this because we are not talking about Jaws anymore. <laughs> but I watched, the, I watched the Licorice Pizza trailer and I was like, oh, I hope that movie's 12 hours long. I want, I want that movie to be the longest movie ever made. <laughs> I want it to continue from now until the end of time, playing in front yep. of my eyeballs. <laughs> yes. There was something about that movie, that trailer, that just, like, it made me so comfortable. And I was mm-hmm. like, I would just vibe to this for yeah. <laughs> as long as he would make me. And yeah. then I found out it's an hour and 40 minutes and it's his shortest movie. Oh. <laughs> Boo. kind of disappointed kind of disappointed <laughs> mm-hmm. and i'm the guy who like if you voted me president one there's something wrong with you two the only meaningful legislation i would pass is to make every movie 90 minutes or less so <laughs> it was like a big deal when i was like why do i want this to be pushing three hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah it says that says a lot <laughs> Um, anyway, did you have anything else to add, Sarah? <laughs> no, I've I've got nothing. I'm just thinking about when I can watch Crawl. <laughs> yep. Crawl, but replace Barry Pepper with Ryan Gosling. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Barry Pepper's really good in that movie, and that he is a guy who is not taken. He is taken for granted more than I think any other actor working today. I could see honestly. I will say Barry Pepper is the Roy Scheider of the new millennium. That's a, that's a bold claim. I, uh, I love when, Barry Pepper. When you were saying replace with Ryan Gosling, I really thought you were going to say replace the alligator with Ryan Gosling, and now I'm sad that you Oh, don't. yeah. <laughs> Do that. For sure. <laughs> Gator Gosling. He'll look, like, he'll look like one of the ducks with the shark suit on. <laughs> it's just like him in a croc- an alligator suit. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Would watch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um... <laughs> Sarah, did you have do you have anything to plug? Um, I don't really have anything. I'm I'm writing a bit more regularly uh, than I was previously. Um, so I mentioned last week I'm currently writing for uh, Looper, so mm-hmm. you can find my latest articles uh, probably on my Twitter because it's a bit of a nightmare to try and find anything on that site unless it was posted like 20 seconds ago. So. Uh, it is probably already too late to find it on the homepage, but yeah, just um, if you find me on Twitter, then you can you can generally see what I've uh, what I've been writing over there. Yes, or we could ask your mother for the printout. Oh, what an angel! Honestly, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that's cool. I saw your your tweet about that, and I was yeah. like, oh man, my mom does not know how to do that. It's so well. I say it. My my dad prints it out for her, which is somehow oh, even okay. more wholesome. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a family affair. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I. It should be out now. I don't know the release schedule because once again we're recording this. We're we're banking episodes because Sarah's getting ready to get married it's very soon. Real um, soon. <laughs> Real soon. Two weeks out, if you're listening to this the day, uh, less than two weeks, if you're listening to this the day it came out. But um, (laughs) our recording, and then I sent her into a spiral. Um, (laughs) So we're recording stuff kind of early right now, just to kind of get ready for it. So I still haven't recorded this yet, if you've listened to last week's episode. And I don't actually know when it'll be out, because it hasn't been recorded yet. But I was on the Beard Al podcast. That's B-E-E-R apostrophe D. Al podcast, which is a podcast about beer and Weird Al. Um, 
to talk about songs that are commonly attributed to Weird Al, although they are not actually uh, songs that Weird Al did, um, which there is a lot of them, actually, mm-hmm. particularly in the days of like the like LimeWire and Kazaa and Napster. Uh, there were a lot of songs that got really misattributed to him. And uh, we're going to talk about that. I actually, I got weirdly into that rabbit hole when that era was happening because there were so many songs out there that were, I was like, that's not him. You can clearly tell it's not him. Why are they <laughs> saying it's him? Um, so it is It is a, a subgenre of, uh, a subtopic of talking about Weird Al that is actually near and dear to my heart. And I'm really excited to talk about it. And I hope people like it because that is a very specific subject for <laughs> a podcast. Uh, but I love it. Um, and uh, I think I mentioned this on last week's episode. Weird Al's like m- one of my favorite musicians of all, all time. <laughs> um, I think he's he's my he's my favorite live act I've ever seen perform live. And you guys know I work in the live music industry. So like, he, I love that guy. So, so to be able to talk about him on a podcast, I'm like over the moon excited about i i think it might be the most excited to be on a podcast as a guest i've ever been because i don't know if i could have an entire podcast dedicated to weird al uh but (laughs) guesting on one is extremely my jam so go check it out um also just really good people over there go follow them on twitter uh go buy they have really great merch it's um it's a mug of beer with weird al hair uh which is very funny (laughs) um so you can you can yeah look forward to that i'll probably know next week's episode when it's gonna be out so so if it's not out yet go listen to another episode they have a bunch of them um and uh yeah it's a good show it's it's real fun so do that um as for this show you can find us on twitter at jaws for a minute um and in that Twitter, you can find a, uh, a link tree to a bunch of different ways you can support the show and support people involved with the show. Um, you can buy some merch from Tee Public and Redbubble. There are links to both of those stores um, there. And we have two designs right now. Um, one that's the, just the, the, the LJ Fam logo, and then one that says it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere with a shark vibing and sipping on a martini or a blood cocktail. Um, <laughs> and uh not a martini i sorry i'm seeing james bond this weekend um (laughs) and uh yeah you can find those you can also support the artist who did those uh alex at hex ghosts on twitter um and pick up his children's book trexy and uh yeah just uh just support him because he's very good at what he does and uh has helped us out a lot with super cool designs Mm -hmm. um you can also find a link to our coffee page um which is a way you can donate to the show. Um, you don't necessarily get anything, but it's also a much cheaper than merch. It's, it's a $3 minimum. Um, but if you do donate, you do get an entry into a contest once we hit our donation goals. So when we hit specific goals, we will draw um, a, a name for a piece of merch. Um, and if you have donated in the past, you are automatically entered into win uh to win unless you have won previously so um you know three dollars you could win a twenty dollar piece of merch uh from us and we would like to thank alex lavelle who uh recently donated to our coffee um page so thank you very much for that we 
Very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support us for free by rating, reviewing, and sharing the show um, on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, we're we're on like nine different services. You can find us Google, um, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify. Those are the big four that people use. So uh, yeah, you could you could support us for free that way, and we really appreciate that. That's really what helps get the show into people's uh people's ears and 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 get them listening and hopefully get them recommending the show and um you know just uh we want to grow this weird little uh fan base that we have that is like <laughs> i would like to listen to 80 episodes of people talking by jo- talking about jaws one minute at a time or thereabouts um because <laughs> if you're someone who's interested in that you're our kind of people obviously um <laughs> Yeah, and then you can also purchase our theme song through that that Twitter link, uh, Tiger Shark by Kristen Falls, who is at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. Um, and there's a link in her bio as well um, to, to purchase it from her Bandcamp page. Uh, she's my wife, so that money does go to me as well. <laughs> um, and all, 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 all I did was sit there. Um, <clears throat> So if you want to, if you want to support my family directly, it'll be in that link tree, uh, as well. Um, we, we share a bank account, so it goes all into the same account. Oh, that really got me. Sorry. Um, it's like a, it's like a dollar to purchase it. So, uh, do that and help put food on my table. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Go support her and her efforts in uh, in bringing extremely specific music to the masses. Um, you can find me at mjsmith891 on Twitter. You can find Sarah at Sarah Buttery. That's S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. And you can email the show at jawsforaminute at gmail.com. Uh, if you are not on any of the social medias or uh, you would like to send us some stuff through attachments and things, it's probably easier than than uh dms and and that form of of communication so um but if you would like to dms we, our dms are open on uh the jaws for a minute account on twitter oh we're on instagram now too sorry we're on finstagram now too uh <laughs> is it at jaws for a minute on instagram as well yeah same as twitter sorry i should have uh should have put that in the notes <laughs> yeah i yeah i think that's the reason i forgot it wasn't it i didn't have my script in front of me so uh <laughs> Yeah, we're brand new to Instagram, like, a few days at time of recording, um, and like a week by the time you're hearing this. So go follow us over there. Um, we're posting clips from the show and um, all kinds of fun stuff over there to uh, to engage people on that platform as well. So give us a follow. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.